Let's go. 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 Let's Here's another episode of NBA University. Today's going to be a, our um, NCA podcast. Um, today is Tuesday, February 5th, um, so we're starting to get back and get into a regular schedule here, um, getting a college and NBA podcast out each week. Um, so today we're going to go over, um, sort of break down the, get into the sort of like bracketology a little bit, um, who we think can win it, um, who are some mid-majors, some upset potential, some teams that are interesting, um, get into the Wooden Award um, finalist list that came out, and then finish up the SEC. Um, so we'll start here with um, who we think can win um, the NCAA tournament coming up faster than I was expecting. <laughs> Comes so fast nowadays. Um, so who do you think, who are some of your teams that can win it? How many teams do you think can win it? Yeah, I mean, so we're doing this because, believe it or not, there's like five weeks until the opening NCAA tournament. Honestly, there might be five weeks to the day of the opening NCAA tournament game, but um, that's terrifying because I feel like we're just barely getting into conference play and it's almost over already. But I think – so we we recently made our own like mock bracket and it was the first time we did it. And kind of it's, it's an interesting process. If you're a college basketball fan, I definitely think you should go through and try to do it yourself because – it's, it's way harder than you would think it would be uh, at the end. Like, you get going, and you're like, okay, top four seeds, top five seeds, this all makes sense. And then you get to, like, the range of teams that are going to be, like, bubble-type teams. Like, ah, I really don't know about this one. Um, but with that being said, I think there's, like, I would say safely seven teams. Personally, I could feel like I could pair that down to six. Um, I don't believe in Michigan as much as other people do, in case you haven't caught that over the last, like, three weeks of us talking. But um, so my – I'll say seven and just leave Michigan in there. Um, but it would be the top five for me. So uh, Tennessee, Duke, Virginia, Gonzaga, Kentucky, and then Michigan. And I also put UNC in there. I think UNC is a team that nobody's been talking about. But um, between the two solid freshmen and Mr. Little and Kobe White and then their – veterans and cam johnson kenny williams and luke may um i think they do have a pretty dangerous team they can score it as well as anyone and when they want to defend they're pretty good so um i think that's a team that they're climbing in the rankings right now i believe they're like seven or eight but that's a team that can make some serious noise in march uh especially under the radar yeah yeah unc is definitely a team that always seems to click late um into the season has some usually have a, a bad loss or two. Um, typically, it's against Texas every year. Um, <laughs> but Thanks for that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, they always seem to put it together late, and no matter how bad they play all season or how underperformed they've played, um, they seem to come back and, and make the Final Four, make the championship game, and even win it. So they're definitely a team. I think they have all the pieces to do it. 
Um, I think it's a, for them it's a lot about matchup. If they're going to go against someone, um, I know in our mock sort of bracket, they were going against Florida State, and I had Florida State win it just because they fall against a team that has a lot of size and a lot of big size. What I mean is thick, um, sort of big big centers. They'll struggle. Um, I think they're, they're bigs down low, like Luke May. Um, I'm completely forgetting their team now. Um, who are some of their bigs? Uh, Garrison Brooks. Brooks. They have, Brooks uh, Sterling Manley that hasn't played in a while, but... Yeah, like those type yeah. of centers that are long, athletic, um, but don't necessarily have size, get, get killed on the boards. Um, so for UNC, I feel like it's all about matchup. Um, and then, obviously, I agree, Tennessee, Duke, um, Gonzaga, Kentucky, and Virginia. Uh, I think those five, for me, are in their own tier of being able to win it all. Yeah. Uh, just because they all have similar types of teams. Um Really, outside of Duke and Kentucky, very veteran teams um, that play defense. Um, and I just think all have really good coaches and can can ultimately win it all. So I think it's going to come down to those five. Yeah, and I think this year is a little different than past years. And pretty much once you get past the two line, I think there's really no teams that I could even contemplate, honestly, even making a Final Four, let alone a uh, championship, but we're talking about teams like Nevada, Virginia Tech, Kansas, Marquette, Villanova, Louisville, Houston, Texas Tech. That just gets us the three-four line in our mock bracket. Um, but like you th- when you look at those teams, you can pick out at least one major flaw that they each have, um, and I think are at least two to three tiers below the teams we mentioned. And I completely agree with you. I think at least the top five teams. Um, are like very solidified above the rest in my opinion and then you have the teams like michigan michigan state unc that fall right behind them um but it seems for sure that like the top five teams have really separated themselves from the rest of the field yeah yeah this year is weird because it feels like there's such a top tier then there's a second tier and then there's the rest of the teams so um and I think Kansas slips into that second tier uh, just because they've done it before. You can't ever count Kansas out. Uh, right. But there, there's not much difference between a team like Nevada uh, and then you go all the way down to a, a eight seed like Syracuse. Like there's not a huge difference between those two teams. And that's a three and eight seed right now in ours. So, I mean – it's going to be weird. It's a, I feel there's going to be a lot of upsets that will happen sort of in between that three and eight seed. Um, but once they start playing the top two tiers, uh, I don't think they have a chance to beating. I mean, obviously one of them is going to go down, um, but I don't see any big-time 15-2 upsets uh, like we've seen in years past. And definitely no 16-1 this year. Yeah. Of course, we basically are saying we believe that at, at least three one seeds will probably get to the Final Four, if not all four, which means there'll probably be two double-digit seeds and a few, like, eight, nine seeds in there when we get to the real thing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's just how that works. And but if we look at, if you look at, like, teams, so if you haven't seen a whole lot of mid-majors yet, um, if you look at a team like Hofstra, who's rattled off, I think, like, 16 straight wins, 17, something like that, 
um, most wins in the row in the country. You have a team like Lipscomb, who, uh, if you follow John Rosti, and I said this before, but team I think Notre Dame, they knocked off Notre Dame and TCU, and one other team they played really close. Um, but uh, they basically are all these big-name coaches are in consensus saying that Lipscomb's a serious problem for a lot of teams. Um, you have Murray State, and I'm telling you right now, there's not one team in the country that's going to want to play John Morant in the tournament, especially in the first round. Um, and then, a team, like you already said it, but Nebraska, or Nebraska, yeah, right. But Syracuse is like a 7-8 seed somewhere around there. Um, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> they can easily do what they do and just cause – like, Syracuse is tough because it's if they can get past the first game, it's the second game that's always a problem because it's a team that has one day to practice to play a zone that they don't generally play, and Syracuse's zone is different from most zones because they're so long and athletic and get out. Um, so it's always that second game that's hardest for the teams to play Syracuse, which in our case, as a seven seed, they would be playing a two seed. If they fall to the eight line or nine line, they're playing a one seed in the second round. So that could be that could be some, some upset potential there too. Yeah, yeah, but – like you were talking about earlier, the the uh, mid bangers I'm loving this year. Uh, Lipscomb's a very fun team to watch. Um, Louisville's the other team that you were thinking of. They played close. They lost by four. Yeah, there we go. Four at Louisville. Um, so that's a really impressive um, game for them. But I mean, yeah, they've um, they're eighteen and four right now and have lost to Clemson, Louisville, Belmont twice. And Belmont's a very good team. Uh, so yeah, that's a tournament team too, most likely, or at least has a chance to be. Yeah, so I mean, these these mid majors are, are definitely very dangerous, and Murray State definitely. I um, I have them. I think one in two games in ours. Um, a lot of it because of John Morant and what he can do. Um, I can see him taking. Yeah, them. you have them beating Maryland, you jerk. <laughs> Maryland and Kansas. <laughs> um, I just think he he brings such a dynamic to the floor. Um, we'll cover him a lot more, uh, but what he's able to do for that team, and he has quality talent around him too. Um, it's not like it's just him on that team. He had a game of eighteen assists. The only way you get an assist is if a teammate puts the ball in the hoop. So he obviously has some quality talent there, um, and just. Again, these, these mid-majors are going to be dangerous first round. Uh, Murray State's the only one that I can see winning a couple games. Um, but it, they're all going to be – these 5-12 matchups are going to be a lot of fun. The 6-11 matchups are going to be a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, I think the 5-12 so our 5-12 lines right now, our 5 line is – this was before Buffalo just lost again, so they'll probably fall off. But Buffalo, Iowa State, Purdue, and LSU, all of which – we've pretty much come to the conclusion are very solid teams um, against the 12 line of Lipscomb, Hofstra, Temple, and VCU, which just has just chaos written all over it. Even the 13 seeds um, and the four seeds, I, I think it just comes down to what we were talking about earlier, but there's a clear-cut distinction between one tier to the next to the next. Um, and that 3-4 line, which is like the teams from 10 to 20-ish in the country, is is pretty much in my mind, maybe aside from like Virginia Tech and Kansas of the world, is is not that different from the 20 to 30 range of teams 
um, that they could play in the second round and even those mid-majors, like we were saying, in the first round, that could cause some serious problems. Yeah. Yeah, but ultimately it's going to end up with, I, I, I do think, three one seeds in the Final Four. Um, but that doesn't mean that the tournament's not going to have the parity or the competition. I think it's going to be the most competitive um, bracket we've seen in a while. And it's all because of once you get off of the top six, seven teams, everyone's basically even um, and can be anyone at any given time. Um, So definitely no perfect bracket this year um, for anybody. (laughs) But it's going to be a really, really good tournament for sure. Yeah, and one, the last thing I'll say about it overall is um, a team like Buffalo, who has shown they're capable of beating teams, right? So they go to they go to Syracuse, they knock off Syracuse, they go to Marquette, and they hang tough, play a great game. Um, they're they're a really good basketball team, and it's tough for them because they start out the season so hot. They're ranked, they're almost in the top ten. Everybody's talking about them. And then they have to go play their conference games where they're going on the road to a team they've played all the time, play them twice a year usually. And every single team in their conference knows if we beat that team, we got a chance. So they're getting like how the Blue Bloods are treated now. They get every team's 110% effort best shot. And if they slip up just a little bit one day, they have a serious problem. And we've already seen they have two conference losses now by just a few points each. Um, And... So that's each time they lose a conference game in my mind, it kind of knocks them down a whole seed line. Um, and it's at the point where I, I do still think they need to win their conference tournament to feel super safe. Uh, I think if they lose like early in the conference tournament, they could find themselves on the bubble. I still think they're one of the best 68 teams in the country and definitely should be in the tournament. But um, that's a team that like if, the, if they do fall down to the 10 line or somewhere around there, they have a slow end to the season. <laughs> I don't know any team in the country that's going to be, like, excited to see Buffalo coming up in the tournament. Yeah, no, and it's almost a disservice that the Buffaloes started getting ranked as high as they did um, because they're going to ultimately be a five or six seed and play a really good bubble team. Um, And it could be a tough matchup for them, but they are a very good team and can easily make a sweet 16 um, with the talent that they have there. Um, but anything else you want to bring bring up on the, the bracket? No, I think I'm good. Well, once we fix up the rest of our bracket and get our website going, you'll be able to see both of our mocks so far. We have the same Final Four and the same championship game, just a different result. And yeah. you can probably guess for yourself what that might be. <laughs> yeah. yeah, My national championship winner actually is someone we'll talk about today. Um, but transitioning from the the bracket, we're going to get into the um, Wooden Award candidates, um, how they were just released. Um, do you want to start with guys that should be on it or shouldn't be on it? Uh, we can go with should, because I have a hard time saying someone shouldn't be on it and then not being able to say someone should. So uh, the two guys that at least came in my mind it's a 20 person list this is like the mid-season uh the second time they knocked it down i think but um the, the main one for me was mario shayok from iowa state obviously you can call me a homer for that one but he's leading the big 12 in points per game uh he has 
basically been Iowa State's savior while they weren't fully healthy and been consistent almost every single game, um, except really except for their last game. But everyone's allowed to have a bad day every now and again. Uh, so it's surprising to me that he's not on there. Really, for me, when I think of this award, I, at least personally, I believe you should have to be at least either the most important player or the best player in your team, and ideally both, in order for me to think you you should deserve this award. Um, that's just, everyone looks at awards differently. That's the way I look at this award. Uh, and then one other player I had in mind was Brandon Clark um, from Gonzaga. I think he's super underrated. We've talked about him a bunch of times with our NBA teams in our mock drafts. Um, but he does pretty much everything I don't think he falls into the category of most important and best player. Um, I would personally say he's their best player right now, but I don't know. You could say he's their most important. I think you can honestly argue the other way around of that too. Um, And then two other guys that I wouldn't put on the list, but I think are honorable mentions are CJ Massenberg and Phil Booth. Um, Massenberg from Buffalo, Phil Booth from Villanova. Both have had just massive impacts on their team. If you haven't seen a Villanova game yet, Villanova would probably have seven to eight losses right now if Phil Booth wasn't on the team. Um, and they do still have – they've struggled a little bit, but that team is, in terms of talent level, about as bad as Jay Wright's had in uh, at least five years, and Phil Booth has them sitting on the three-to-four line right now. Um, and the only other thing is I think it's very surprising that there wasn't a Kentucky player on the list. Yeah, yeah, well – one of the guys that I thought should have been on is P.J. Washington. Um, just because of his growth as a player, how he's come on and really led this sort of middle to end of the year charge for Kentucky. And he's got them looking like a Final Four uh, championship contending team. Uh, I know Kentucky is very balanced. They have a lot of guys, a lot of talent. Um, but if P.J. Washington isn't playing well, uh, that their team isn't playing well. So I thought he should have been on there for sure. Um, some other guys, I mean, you, you named a, a good portion of them. Um, but since Mike Dom with South Dakota State really is the only sort of um, small market or uh, non-big conference team on there. They have Jaws on there too. Oh, I guess Jaws, yeah, too. Um, but I was looking at for, from uh, Firm, Matt Rafferty has been really, really solid for them consistently. Um, and Firm's, Firm's been a really solid team all year. Um, they've had some big wins, um, obviously beat Villanova earlier, um, played some other teams pretty tough. Uh, they could potentially get into the tournament. Uh, but he's been really solid for them. Um, Chris Clemens of Campbell um, just – outscored in NC State by himself. I think he's averaging more than NC State does. <laughs> um, he's just been a really, really solid player all year. And for the past two to three years, he's been sort of at the top of college scoring. So just giving those sort of um, smaller conference teams some love there. Uh, but, yeah, like you said, uh, Shayak was a big miss, I think, and P.J. Washington was a big miss uh, on this list. Yeah, so who who on the list would you take off or at least think you could argue to take off? Um, the one that I was really shocked about was Ignis Brezdinkis. Um <laughs> I think he's been really solid, really good player. Um, 
but I don't think he's their best player. I don't think he's their most important player. If he has an off game, Michigan's just fine. Um, like Xavier Simpson, I think, is more important. Um, once yep. Char- Charles Matthews gets going, he's more important. Jordan Poole's been better. Um, you can even argue, argue Teske's been better. Um, so I was really shocked, to be honest, to see his name on there. Um, he's a fun freshman. He's done a lot. Um, but to be in this sort of finalist for the player of the year was kind of shocking to me. What about you? Yeah, that was my big one, too. Um, he's actually one of only three freshmen on the list, and I promise you anyone in the world could name the other two. Um, and you'd hit it. Right on the head, but not their most important, not their best player. I think Jordan Poole is probably their best player, and Xavier Simpson is definitely their most important. Um, that one's really weird for me. I know he's been way better than anyone really expected, um, but yeah, I don't get that one at all. And the one I thought you for sure you're going to say was Caleb Martin. Um, another guy, I think Jordan Caroline is super deserving to be on this list, but for Nevada to have two guys, I think is a little bit of a stretch, especially because Caleb's been just not how good he's been at any point in his career, really. Um, He's been wildly inefficient for the most part. And then I don't think he should be off the list, but I think one guy that could be argued is Admiral Schofield. I know he's had a pretty big year, uh, career year for him so far, but Grant Williams is everything for Tennessee. Um, And I I know obviously you're allowed to have two players on the same team on the list, but I just feel like he – I feel like you could possibly argue someone over him, like uh, like a Phil Booth, I think. I probably would have over Admiral Schofield, just because I think if you take Schofield off Tennessee, um, I don't think they're the number one team in the country, but I think they're still a top 15 to 10 team. If you take Phil Booth off of Villanova, like I said, they're really struggling to make the tournament. Yeah. Yeah, Schofield I looked at as well. Um, other guys, I think the Virginia Trio... So there's only two on the list, Kyle Guy and DeAndre Hunter. Um, but between Kyle Guy, DeAndre Hunter, and Ty Jerome, I don't think one's any more important than the other. So yeah. I, I know you should. there should be someone for Virginia on the team, but because one doesn't stand out to me, um, you either put all three on there or you don't put any on there. Um, so the, that one was weird to me as well. And then, yeah, obviously Caleb Martin, um, just a volume player uh he's gonna get big numbers because of the amount of shots he takes the amount of offense that goes through him um but yeah i mean some guys that do you want to get into like a your final top five top three something like that yeah i can try to give you a top five um i would go in no particular order because I'm not entirely ready to say who, who I think is going to win yet. I still think Dedrick Lawson is my front runner in my mind, but um, I would give you Dedrick Lawson, Grant Williams, and Zion. Uh, and then with that, probably Carson Edwards and Ethan Happ, I think, would be my top five. Okay. So a lot of the same top five for me. Um, my front runner, I think, is Grant Williams. Um, we'll talk about him more, but last year. SEC player of the year and has increased every single major stat. So increases points, rebounds, assists, steals, blocks. Um, only thing that took a small dip was um, offensive rebounds. Um, and that's just because you got guys like Kyle Alexander, um, Admiral Schofield, um, those type of guys that really attack the glass. But and he's also 
He's also really undersized, even though he doesn't look like it. Well, he's height-wise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all yeah. No, like girth-wise, he's far from undersized. <laughs> he's he's perfectly fine strength-wise. Um, so I mean, he's my he's my front runner, and then behind him, um, Zion Diedrich. Um, I really like Cassius Winston, um, but I don't think he falls in that. Um, Carson Edwards for sure, um, and Ethan Happ. Is that five? I don't know. Yeah, so we have the same, just you have Grant and I have Deidre Glosson. Yeah, and if either one of those guys wins it, I'm perfectly fine with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, Zion too is up there uh, to win it. But yeah. You want to know a fun fact about Zion? Oh boy. He's top five in the ACC in every statistical category. He's only won ACC Player of the Week one time. <laughs> it's sort of like the LeBron thing where he he could win it each week. It's just giving it to somebody else. Yeah, but when you're giving it to his teammate who has <laughs> not been as good as him, I have a hard time with that one. So where do you think Trey Jones falls on this wooden list? Wouldn't... Oh, you had to do it. <laughs> I personally think he should be on the list, but I couldn't argue it without having extreme bias. Um, for me, he's like... I don't, so, I think he's Duke's most important player. Ah, that's tough with Zion. They're close. <laughs> it's like 1A, 1B. But, obviously, Zion's the best player on the team. But, um, if if Duke lost to Virginia without Trey, I think you could absolutely say Trey should be on the list. At this point in time, I think he's like one or two names just off the bottom of it. Um, but, yeah... He he needs to start throwing up some triple doubles in order to get himself on the finalist list. Yeah. I think if Zion's not on the team, he's on the list. Um, yeah. What's but, crazy to me, though, is the Hurley Award for, like, nation's best point guard. Trey didn't make the top ten, which is just mind-boggling to me. I can't think of – I don't think I can think of three better. <laughs> yeah. Let alone ten. And he, so he didn't, he didn't make the defensive – top 15 whatever college basketball defenders list and he didn't make the uh top 10 point guards list and i think he's at least top two in point guards and at least top five in deep in defenders in the country that's bizarre who votes on those ones couldn't tell you but they all should lose their jobs <laughs> i'm not one to just fire people like that but that needs to happen yeah i don't know that trade and i'm not a duke fan at all um, if anything, I, I root against them. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what Trey's able to do on the floor, um, defensively especially, is, I think in my mind he's the best best defender. Um, Ashton Ashton Higgins wasn't on the defender list either, so that just literally erases the whole list from yeah, my mind. No, that's weird. <laughs> um, and I also saw something out there that Trey's actually taller than when he's listed. Do you have any input on that? What's he listed as? 6'2", six, 6'3"? Six, I think he's listed at 6'1 or 6'2". Yeah, he's got to be 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, I think he's a tiny, like a tiny half inch to an inch taller than Tyus. Yeah, and Tyus is, I think I measured at 6'2". I'd say he's 6'3". I'd feel safe saying he's 6'3". I don't think he's any bigger than that, though. But 6'3", I mean, that... I'm not sure why his stock isn't 
much higher. Because, like, a 6'1 point guard is usually loses some stock for that height. Um, but someone's 6'3", right. I mean, Russell Westbrook's 6'3", John Wall's 6'4". Like, these guys aren't towering over Tyus Jones and his defense and able to control the ball. Ah, we'll get into it later. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we can talk about Trey for the next hour if you want. I'm just perfectly fine with that. <laughs> yeah. um, and just real quick, I got an update saying um, Lakers are now pulled out of the Anthony Davis trade talks. <laughs> uh, Shocker. Because of the outrageous request, which for first-rounders seems kind of much, but... Yeah, but if you don't have to trade them, I'd be asking for more than that, probably. Yeah, no, good on the Pelicans and smart. No need to absolutely settle for that. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll jump into the SEC right after um, this. So stay with us. Ninth appearance in the tournament. Yes, and every year they've been in the tournament, they have won at least one game, except. For the one year you played in the NCAA tournament. talk about the three SEC teams we're going to talk about today are Auburn, Kentucky, Tennessee, and we'll start with Auburn. Um, They bring out a lineup of um, Jared Harper at the point guard, Bryce Brown in the backcourt with him, with Samir Doty, um, transferred from BCU, um, with Anthony McLemore and Chuma Okiki um, in the frontcourt. Then sort of a small bench now because of um, Austin Wiley's injury. Um, Malik Dunbar um, plays sort of a guard forward type position. Horace Spencer uh, forward coming off the bench with um, Javon McCormick and Daniel Purefoy um, coming in off the bench playing sort of sparingly minutes. Uh, So um, outside of Jared Harper and Bryce Brown, what's there to look forward to with as an Auburn fan? Um, well, outside of them, not a whole lot, <laughs> but um, I don't know. So if you, if you remember VCU and the Shaka Smart days, how they had that 
term havoc where they just literally were all over the place, athletic people from top to bottom, uh, and just caused so many problems. Auburn doesn't play to the same, uh, like, full-court press, that type of havoc, but they are all up in as a defense. Like, they will be inside the uh, offensive players' pockets the whole time he has the ball. Um, They are so athletic. They're fast. They're an aggressive attacking type team. Uh, I think they actually, they're like top, top a couple in blocks in the country. Top three, I think. Um, and they really turn over, turn you over quite a bit. But for some reason as a whole, their defense isn't that good. I'm not entirely sure why. I think they just are, I think they have a lot of good individual defenders and not a great team defense. Um, but as an offense, they're going to play super up-tempo. They're going to turn you over, get the ball, go shoot it within the first five seconds of the shot clock if they can, um, which obviously as a fan might drive you crazy because they can take some really bad shots. Uh, they have heat checks without actually being hot, which is not a good combination there. Um, but, I mean, on paper, I think this is one of the top 15 teams in the country. Um, that piece of paper is almost shredded at this point because they have not played anywhere near that ability. Uh, so as a as an Auburn fan, I think you'd be excited of the potential of the team if they ever click, um, especially led by Jared Harper and Bryce Brown, who I think form one of the top five backcourts in college basketball. Um, and they do it on both sides of the ball, which I think a lot of teams lack. But they... They definitely have flaws in real life that you can't find on paper. Yeah, I think it's just their inconsistency throughout the game. Um, so they'll play really fast and go on a cold streak, miss a lot of shots, and then come back and go on a 10 0 run. Um, and when they're not shooting well, they're not playing defense as hard. Uh, and it's been happening more often than not uh, uh, this season than last season. And I think it, it has to do with injuries, um, different starting lineups being thrown out there. Um, I think Austin Wiley is very important to this team. Um, but, I mean, they do do a really good job of turning teams over. They're ranked first in turnover percentage um, and block percentage as a defense um, are in, and are fifth in steal percentage. So they're, they're doing really good work defensively. Um, it's just maintaining it um, when their bench comes in because uh, they're, they're not a super deep team. Um, I mean, Malik Dunbar is a very good player, um, and Horace Spencer is good. But outside of those two, that's really their bench, especially with Austin Wiley out. Um, but, I mean, they do have a, lot, a ton of talent. Just ran into a tough stretch. Uh, lost to Kentucky by two at home, three to South Carolina at, at South Carolina, and then lost by eight to Mississippi State at Mississippi State. Uh, so turn one of those into a win, maybe two of those, beating South Carolina um, and beating Kentucky. Now it's a totally different season for them. So it's just a few possessions away from them being a really good team, and it looks like they're starting to turn it around. I mean, they blew out Missouri and Alabama in back-to-back games um, and then have a, a big game tonight against Florida. So 
we'll see how they can hold up against Florida because then they go to LSU, um, which is another big game for them. So I, I do really like this team. I think Jared Harper and Bryce Brown can take them a long way. And depending on how far, how long Austin Wiley's out, um, they could be a very dangerous team in the SEC tournament and, and get into the NCAA tournament on a, on a good streak. Yeah, Austin Wiley's uh, a, a really good big in college. I think last year if they had him, so he, he missed his freshman year mostly because of NCAA sanctions, which I promise at some point we're going to have an NCAA violations discussion um, because that's just ridiculous how often that happens and how minor most of the infractions are. But um, yeah, if they had him so, last yeah. year, I think – yeah, exactly. <laughs> if they had him last – if they had Austin Wiley last year, I think they could have gone – uh, honestly, probably a lead eight, sweet sixteen range in the in the tournament. He's super good, uh, really athletic, but also just massive, just a huge body to deal with. Uh, he's shown a little bit of ability to step out uh, and not exactly knock down open jumpers, but like he's a capable. He's gonna. He's shown the ability to at least shoot it uh, from like foul line extended, which I don't think anyone expected going into this year, um, but. Really, this team is entirely led by Jared Harper and Bryce Brown. If both of them have a good game, there's a really good chance they win the game. If one of them has a good game, it's going to be a tough uphill battle. And if neither of them have a good game, there's almost no chance they win. Um, and so my, my biggest concern with Auburn is that they're a super reliant on the jump shot. And teams that generally rely on jump shooting in March – don't do as well as they're capable of. Um, and I think we've already seen that throughout the year with Auburn a little bit. So I'm worried that that might happen in March. But uh, on, like I said, on paper and talent-wise and everything, they have what they need to be a, a very successful team um, and go to the Sweet 16 somewhere around there. Uh, I think right now we have them at, what, seven seed? Yeah, we have them on the seven line. So... Um, probably a little low if they can put some games together to end, end the season, maybe knock off uh, Kentucky at uh, Kentucky or Tennessee. They get Tennessee at home on their last game. Uh, Ken Palm actually has them losing that game by one, which is close enough to say they got a shot. So if they can get something, one, one big win here down the stretch and win the games they're supposed to win, um, I think you'll more likely than not find them on like the five line. Yeah, yeah, they should should absolutely be a five seed. Um, that's their potential. I think they could even sneak into the last four seed uh, if everything goes the way it should for them, um, if they hit their potential. Um, and if Wiley comes back as effective as he was, and that that front court of Okiki and Wiley, I think, is really effective because Okiki has been shooting it very well from three um, for a big. He's at 34% uh, on 73 attempts. So, I mean, he's very solid. And he's probably one of my favorite players on Auburn because of how hard he plays. Um, but if they're able to get Okiki and Wiley in that front court, um, I think they can get to a four seed and have that Elite Eight ceiling. Um, but Sweet 16, uh, round of 32 realistically. Yeah, the more consistent play they can get from 
those guys who go Kiki, Macklemore, Dowdy, um, those guys that are kind of third, fourth options, uh, if they can get like 10 to 15 points a night from those guys, they're really going to take off because then a lot of the weight comes off, specifically Bryce Brown, who I think struggles at times to um, to like understand how to be the go-to guy and that you don't have to force up jump shots. You don't have to always search for your shot, but you need to stay aggressive in the same there's like a, a fine line between just chucking and being an aggressive go-to guy. And I think he's still trying to figure that out. Um, but he's done a much better job here of late. And Jared Harper, I think, is super underrated. Trey Jones-type defender, uh, super athletic, and is a really good shooter. Yeah. I mean, both of them have shot the ball, especially from deep, uh, really well and really really well lately. Um, Jared, Jared Harper's at 39%. Um, and Bryce Brown is at 41%, and they're both over 143 attempts. Jared, or Bryce Brown's at 184. So um, they've been shooting the ball well with the volume that they're shooting it. It's just getting Wiley back, getting a, a third consistent wheel um, to help out with Okiki, who I think is very good, um, but is still learning. He's just a sophomore, so um, giving him a consistent uh, big to rely on if his shot hasn't fallen or um, if he has a tough matchup because he is a little bit undersized. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's good on that's good on Auburn. Um, they can be an exciting team, especially in the tournament. So um, we'll take a, a quick break and get into um, Kentucky. Yeah, I didn't. I I said you only live once. He did the young. <laughs> what are you talking So Kentucky um, has been a team that had a slow start. Um, I think playing Duke on the first night of the season didn't help, um, but a very good team that's sort of bouncing back from that. Uh, their starting lineup is Ashton Higgins at, at the point guard, um, Tyler Harrow at, at shooting guard, with Keldon Johnson, P.J. Washington, and Reed Travis. Um, all sort of play like a wing. Uh, Reed Travis plays their five, but... Um, isn't really a true center there. Uh, and then off the bench, they have Emmanuel Quickly, um, E.J. Montgomery, Nick R- Richards, and Jamal Baker, um, sort of their their main rotation that way, um, with Quickly and Montgomery playing most of the minutes with Richards and Baker behind them. Um, what do you like about Kentucky? Uh, I think when you talk about Kentucky – this is unfair to Kelton Johnson because I think he's their best player, or at least can be argued to be their best player. But 
Um, when I think of Kentucky, I think you have to think first of Reed Travis and P.J. Washington. And if you go through other teams in the country, there's, first of all, there's not many teams that play two true big guys. Um, and, and I mean big in terms of size and like where they're probably most comfortable playing, which would be on the block. But uh, Reed Travis and P.J. Washington can at least – P.J. for sure can guard one through five. Reed Travis can probably guard – one through five for a short stretch, um, but definitely can guard like three through five consistently. Um, both can step out and score it. Both can dribble. Both can make plays for other people. So they can play this massive lineup. And then you throw Keldon Johnson in there, who's six, 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 seven, uh, long and athletic. And Tyler Hero, same way. Um, so you throw this huge lineup out there that can just cause so many problems for other teams. They're just an absolute matchup nightmare. Uh, and like I said, plenty of times so far, I think they have by far the most talent uh, as a roster top to bottom in college. Um, top 10 defense, top 20 offense, and just probably three, maybe four first-round picks if they get super lucky, but uh, most likely two, possibly three if Hero sneaks in there too. Um but I, I'm worried about their bench because Emmanuel quickly can score. He's a guy that I think needs to be in rhythm and play more than he currently plays in order to be the good offensive threat that he's capable of being. Uh, he's only shooting 33% from three, but he's a much better shooter than that. Um, and then Baker is only playing because he's a redshirt freshman and he's playing because Quade Green left and they just need another shooter, basically like a wing two guard, three guard to come in and spell some minutes from Hero and Johnson. Um, and then obviously, like you said, EJ Montgomery and Nick Richards. So first of all, it's only a four person bench. Second of all, Baker doesn't play a whole lot. Um, and quickly, quickly has no pun intended, but such a quick hook from Calipari. If he makes literally one mistake, he's coming out. Uh, so I'm very worried about their bench, but especially in the guard position. I think Montgomery is good, and Nick Richards is solid enough to, to take some minutes off Reed Travis's hands. Um, but if this team gets to where they want to go, I think they will start shooting the ball as they're capable of shooting. Like, Tyler Hero is better than a 35% three-point shooter. Um, Keldon Johnson's probably maxed out at that 42. That's pretty high. Um, yeah, but really high for him. PJ's... Yeah, PJ's around 41. Reed Travis is only at 29. He's only taking 17. He's a way better shooter than that. Um, but my two concerns with Kentucky are their bench and then Ashton Higgins, who I think is a really good young guard, great defender. Um, but he doesn't shoot it well enough, so teams can sag off and really make it difficult for him to figure out what the best play is. Um, you can see frequently he like gets to the foul line and he doesn't know if he should pull up, keep going to the hoop, or kick it out. And like you can literally see when you watch their games, you can see him go through that thought process when he gets there. Um, so he needs to figure out, just be put in more of those situations really and start to try to learn the right reads and stuff. Um, so I think that's going to limit their offense until he can kind of get up to speed. Another kid that should be in high school right now that is – the starting point guard on one of the best teams in the country. So give him a little bit of slack, but um, yeah, this team's loaded from top to bottom. If I haven't said that yet. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I mean, um, Ashton Higgins is really good, but yeah, he, and he's starting to figure it out um, offensively. He's starting to attack the hoop a little bit more. 
um, and looking for, for kickouts to Hero, um, whose shot is really turning around as of late um, and getting the ball to guys like Kelda Johnson and P.J. Washington to let them attack. Uh, I think almost play Ashton Hagens like Ben Simmons. Um, where yep. He can initiate the offense, um, but sort of play him in the, the dunker role. Um, when someone else has the ball, like Kelda Johnson, P.J. Washington, Reed Travis. Uh, but, yeah, the, their their bench, I think, quickly is very, very important to their success. Uh, he has to play well on both sides of the floor because uh, there's going to be times when Ashton Higgins isn't playing well, uh, and he's the only one they can go to uh, realistically. So they really need to to have him play well for them to get to that final four, to get to the championship game. Uh, but their length, their athleticism, their skill, um, that combination has tons of potential for them. Uh, for their, <clears throat> it just really comes down to their bench. I mean, they're playing their starting lineup nearly 40% of the game. Um, so almost an entire half is them playing their starters. And then the other um, few minutes is with quickly in with the starters. So having him be able to, to play efficiently and effectively is very, very important for Kentucky. But this team is, is very good. Um, they're on a nice little win streak here after that tough loss to Alabama. They've won eight in a row uh, and have um, what shouldn't be a tough game but probably will be uh, against South Carolina tonight at home. Uh, and they only have they have Tennessee left twice, which should be some really good matchups there. Um, they play Auburn in Florida. That was their last game of the year. Uh, so some potential losses in there, but I think this team is clicking at the right time, and is a very dangerous tournament team. Like I said, championship um, type of team. Yeah, and I I think they eventually get to the one line because it's either going to come from knocking off Tennessee and winning the SEC. I think the winner of the SEC, if it's Tennessee or Kentucky, gets a one seed. I think the winner of the ACC, if it's Duke or Virginia, gets a one seed. Uh, I think Gonzaga gets a one because I don't think they lose from here on out. So that's three definites. And then it's a matter of would you put two SEC teams and make it Tennessee and Kentucky, or would you put two ACC teams and make it Duke and Virginia, um, so there's a lot of arguments that can be made there, but I personally think Kentucky's going to be on the one line by the time the tournament starts. Um, the only other thing I want to say about them is, of late at least, we kind of hit on it, but when Tyler Hero has played well uh, and, and he's been confident when he's played, not even played well, but just like just had his confidence back and took good shots and uh, just caused problems for the defense, Kentucky's been at their best. So even if he doesn't, knock down three, four threes in a game, him attacking and him playing, getting his jump shot, looking for a shot consistently is everything Kentucky needs out of him. Um, and obviously as a kid that's as good of a shooter as he is, it's going to start to fall more often than not. So the more that he just keeps getting his confidence up and getting back in his rhythm, Kentucky's only going to get better while that happens. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Tyler Hero, I mean, their, their backcourt is, is their most important uh, for their – their tournament success and if they do fall in a two two seed um whatever one seed is in that bracket should be scared because that's they're definitely the best um 
two seed, I think, that will ultimately end up being a two seed. So, um, no, something I wanted to do with Auburn, we can sort of come back to as well, but let's pick their games for tonight since all three of the teams we're covering today are playing tonight. Who do you think? What do you think the score is? Who do you think wins? That kind of stuff. Hey, listen, score predictor over there. Some <laughs> some people don't have as much talent as you. <laughs> hey, um, I so. nailed the Raptors game too. Just got <laughs> basically got the right difference. Just 10 points off. Yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> um, so Kentucky, South Carolina. I think you. I think you had it right. I think Kentucky. Uh, I think it's a close game for most of the way. I think Kentucky pulls out in the end, wins by like fifteen, say. Uh, I'll say Kentucky seventy-five to sixty. Uh, what was the other one? You want to do Auburn cool. too? Yeah, and Auburn they play. I just had they Florida. play Florida, I believe. Yeah, Florida at home. Uh, I'll say Auburn wins that one in a in a bigger win than I think most people would expect. Um, I'll say Auburn wins uh, seventy to to sixty or seventy to fifty six. What are you just reading off Ken Palm and change it a little bit? <laughs> yeah, duh. <laughs> No, I gave them more of a victory than Ken Palm. I doubled it up. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for Auburn, they're playing at home. Um, Florida, I still don't think, has figured it out. And I think um, Auburn wins pretty handily. Uh, I think they win 75-65. Uh, um, and that's just Florida coming back sort of towards at the end. Um, but I think Auburn's leading comfortably. And then for... Uh, Kentucky um, playing South Carolina at home. Um, I think it's going to be a close first half. I think it's going to be similar to like the Duke-St. John's game, just not as extreme. Um, close first half, and then Kentucky sort of puts it away. Uh, I'm going to say 85-67. to 67. Well, Either way, they're both, we think they're both going to win without much of a problem. Yeah, they should. Um so that takes care of Kentucky. I'll take one last break here and get into um, Tennessee next. Tennessee, um, 
So the way they line up, they have Jordan Bone at point guard. Um, and because of injuries, have sort of shuffled this shooting guard spot a little bit between Jordan Bowden um, and Lamonte Turner. Lamonte Turner has started the last few games. Um, and then have Admiral Schofield, Grant Williams, and Kyle Ag- Alexander uh, with obviously Jordan Bowden, Bowden coming off the bench. Uh, Pond's coming off the bench as well with John Fulkerson, Derek Walker, and Jalen Johnson um, getting sparingly minutes. Um, so Tennessee, obviously the number one team in the nation. Um, what flaws do you see in Tennessee? That's a good question, actually. Um, I would say consistent shooting from the outside, even though they've shot it way better than I ever thought they would this year, especially I think it mostly comes with Admiral Schofield. To see him as a 40% three-point shooter is, for lack of a better word, mind-blowing to me. Um, that's nothing against him. It's just I don't think he's a shooter. Um, but you have a bunch of guys that have taken, like, so you have Bowden that's taken 73s, Bone that's taken 73, Schofield take 96, and Lamonte Turner took 66. Uh, they all shoot at about 35, 36%. Um, again, I don't feel that most of those guys are shooters and they're shooting better than I think I would expect. But in the same aspect, they really don't rely on threes at all. Um, probably, honestly, one of the only teams that doesn't have a shooter over 100 for threes yet this year. Um, they're going to go through Grant Williams, and I've yet to see someone really slow down Grant Williams. Um, his bad games are still better than most people's best games. Um, and then I think the other flaw you could say is they're not a great defensive rebounding team. Um, and they're, they're a good defensive team in the fact that they just really force tough shots and, um, and they can guard you 94 feet and just make it difficult for you. But to not finish those possessions with a rebound uh, a little too frequently for my liking, especially with a good rebounder in Kyle Alexander and Grant Williams is a phenomenal rebounder in terms of using his body and position and space. Um, so if I had to find two flaws, I think those would probably be it. Yeah. Yeah. It really does come down to that. And, um, I mean, they, they do give up a lot of three point attempts, um, but I think that's by strategy. Um, make that, make a team beat you by jump shots and not, not transition, not getting the ball into the paint, really shutting that paint down um, is what what makes them as good of a defensive team as they are. I think defense is something that I wouldn't say they're struggling with because they're they're winning handedly against these teams, these SEC teams, but um, something that tournament time comes and they're they're in the second weekend. Defense is going to be really important, and, and they're going to really need to focus. Um, on the end of the floor because offensively, despite their sort of average shooting, uh, they're an incredibly efficient offensive team. Um, they're second in the nation in adjusted efficiency, so scoring 125 points per 100 possessions. So they're perfectly fine offensively. I think to win a championship, they have to be locked in defensively um, and not giving up 87 points to an Arkansas team. Uh, they have to play a lot better than that, especially on your home floor. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, these guys, Grant Williams, like I said, he's my player of the year um, because he's 
improve from after being an SEC player of the year in everything, even shooting percentages. He's just doing everything um, that they needed to do and more. And then having Schofield, like you said, step up to a 40% three-point shooter. If you said that during his freshman year, uh, that'd be the funniest thing I would hear all day. But <laughs> it's just now it's a reality. And having that along with Bone Turner and Bowden in their, their front court, who are all capable of scoring 20 points in a game, um, with Kyle Alexander sort of as their their linchpin, their glue guy um, that does all the dirty work. Um, they just have such a complete team. Um, their bench minutes might be a little uh, worrisome. Uh, they don't play, I mean, outside about it, and it's um, no one's really averaging that many minutes. Um, Pons averages 16, um, and Flukerson plays a little bit, but outside of, outside of Bowden, really, no one's getting significant minutes. Um, so, I mean, other than other than that, I mean, they're, they're certainly the best team in the nation right now. Yeah, the, the only thing I think is, is worth pointing out, I don't think it's a – I just think it's the way the schedule fell so far for them, but they really haven't been – they haven't played the top of the conference yet for the most part. Um, they had a tough game on the road at Florida, but that's probably – and I guess on the road at South Carolina, but they dominated that one. At, at Florida is probably their toughest game so far um, in conference. They obviously they played Louisville on neutral site and beat them by 11, uh, lost to Kansas by six on a neutral site in overtime. That's their only loss in a game I think they had had won and just didn't close it out, um, and then beat Gonzaga by three on a neutral site as well. So those are their three big games so far this year, which all happened in – Pretty much November. Gonzaga was early December. Um, but coming up to end the season, their last uh, five games are um, quad one games. They have at LSU, at Mississippi, home against Kentucky, home against Mississippi State, and at Auburn. Um, and then if you they have a little break before that with Vanderbilt, if you want to call it a break, and then have Kentucky on the road the game before that. So uh, I'm not saying they're going to just falter but i am saying that they have some serious tests coming up um their biggest test of the season pretty much so i'm reserving a little bit of judgment on tennessee but i do still think they are definitely one of the five best teams in the country no matter what happens in that stretch yeah yeah i mean it is a tough stretch coming up um and they really had an easy schedule (laughs) um i mean and four straight games they played Vanderbilt, West Virginia, South Carolina, and Texas A&M. Um, the best out of them being South Carolina, ranked 101st. Um, so, and then have Missouri tonight. So, haven't been really challenged. Uh, but I think Rick Barnes is such a veteran coach, such a good leader. Um, he's he's certainly um, finding things that they're doing wrong in these blowouts and working on them to get them ready for this, this last stretch and into the SEC tournament. Um, so I, I'm not worried at all about these guys. Yeah, and the only only last thing I'll say is a philosophy type thing, but I would like to see them get uh, guys like Bowden and Admiral Schofield and even Jordan Bone sometimes. I'd like to see them get out and run and go downhill at those wings 
stopping Admiral Schofield full speed coming off the fast break on a wing is like not going to happen for most people. So get him out, get running, try to get some easy buckets because they do. Obviously, they play through Grant Williams. So when you play through your post player, it tends to be a slower pace because you throw it inside, you let him digest the defense, make moves, kick it out, whatever. That's just typically a slower style of play. Um, and I think, obviously think they need to play through Grant Williams. He's their best player. He could win player of the year, no problem whatsoever. Uh, will be the SEC player of the year three times in a row now, which is insane. But um, definitely I would like to see them just get out and run a little bit more and try to manufacture some easy points. And I think that will just make their offense as a whole even better, which is already about as good as it gets in the country. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it's even Lamonte Turner as well. I put that a little bit on him as well to, to get out and go. Um, I know he's coming back from injury, but um, I think that those those three guys are are really important to them, really important. Uh, to to take some load off Grant Williams. Uh, and if if they're able to sort of alternate twenty point games, uh, I don't see many teams being able to beat that. Um, but who you got tonight with Tennessee oh, yeah. home against Missouri? <laughs> uh, Tennessee. Let's say 78-57. Oh, low scoring for them. Um, yeah. I'm going to say because they beat South Carolina, they scored 92 on South Carolina, Texas A&M, they scored 93. Say they scored 94 against Missouri. Um, I think it's 94-71. Um, Once again, easy victory. Yeah. Yeah, all three of these. That one's that's the one I'm the most sure about of the other <laughs> of the three we talked about so far. Yeah, I couldn't be more confident in Tennessee, and I it'll be funny when they lose against Missouri at home. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, so that wraps up the SEC. Um, next week we're gonna get into the Big East. Um, since we're getting so close to the tournament, we're gonna start rattling off some teams here, um, getting some mid majors as well. But and don't forget the Pac-12. I know they're very easily forgotten. You can't forget them. <laughs> I always forget about them. And when we say <laughs> Pac-12, we mean Washington and Arizona State. <laughs> Mostly That's Washington. just the way it works. <laughs> uh, so one last break, and we'll get into trade picks and study. Rick, you've been trained. What's it like? Charlie, it's like coming home from school and your family moves. <laughs> so we're going to do the trade first. Um, so what are the teams, what players are being traded? All right, so, again, sticking with one of the teams we talked about, I'm going to Auburn um, because I think they have a lot of talent and I want to see the team go pretty far in March because I think they're capable. I think the one thing they lack, and you kind of hit on it, but a guy to be a consistent scorer, um, a guy that they can throw the ball to and not, not really worry about uh, shot selection or – Anything like that. Um, so this one's a little different, but Anthony McLemore from Auburn, I'm trading him, who is a junior, uh, trading him to Northwestern for Vic Law. I think uh, Auburn needs a, a wing, consistent wing player, which would be Vic Law, a guy that doesn't play the speed that Auburn plays, which I think in this situation is a good thing because – Sometimes, like I said, they go way too fast, and they need a guy to kind of bring in the reins and, and slow everything down. 
Um, and I think that gives them three legit scorers that are all super capable. Uh, Vic Law has struggled from time to time at Northwestern. Um, and I think it's mostly because he has the whole load of the team on his back. Uh, going to this situation where he'd be in Auburn and kind of just gets to pick and choose his spots um, a little bit in the way that Keyshawn Woods does at Ohio State, um, I think that would be much better for him. And for Northwestern, they're giving up, obviously, probably their best player. Um, but he's gone after this year anyways. Northwestern's not going to the tournament this year. So they take back a player, and Anthony McMore that still has another season and uh, hopefully can help the team next year. And McElmore is not bad at all. I just don't – I think uh, – I don't think he helps Auburn enough in the way that Vic Law could. And I think he could go to Northwestern and definitely be successful as it is. So that's my trade. I like it. I think uh, McLemore, um is somebody that could shine in a smaller team um, or in a, in a lesser um, talent-wise on the team. Uh, if he's sort of their number one or number two option, uh, I think he'll explode and play a lot better. Um, right now he just plays sort of fourth fiddle uh, to these guys. Um, and I think with him going to Northwestern, uh, a team that plays really good team ball, um, but needs another option. Um, obviously, losing Vic Law, um, who's been um, very good this year, um, shooting the ball well, uh, and just playing overall a good brand of basketball, bringing that to an Auburn team where he can take some of that pressure off uh, of Harper and and Bryce Brown, and vice versa, Bryce Brown and Harper taking some pressure off of him um, would be a very fun sort of backcourt to them. Uh, and Northwestern's really struggled of late, losing the last three, um, and it doesn't look like many wins are coming um, towards this end of the year. So uh, might as well take a chance at someone that could really help your team the end of this year and next year. So I'm not mad at it. Northwestern may want something else, but like you said, this is this is all made up and <laughs> it, it still makes I still like it though. Um, so that brings us to our picks. Um, we're picking for Saturday. Um, which is what, February I don't even know anymore. Yep. Ninth. Don't even try. There it is. <laughs> Jeez. Um, so what's your pick for February ninth? Alright, so our game games to watch kind of thing real quick oh, uh thursday no you're good thursday we have houston at ucf iowa at indiana washington at arizona and saturday is the big day duke virginia rematch um not sure if ty jerome's going to be playing in that game so look out for that uh i would love to see those two point cards go at each other again but wisconsin at michigan auburn at lsu nova at marquette Florida at Tennessee, Louisville at Florida State, Western Kentucky at North Texas, who is running away with that conference, which I never would have thought of, and Washington at Arizona State. Um, Sunday, Cincinnati at Houston, and a huge game for the American Athletic Conference. Uh, so with that being said, my pick is Arizona State uh, minus two, I'm guessing, at home against Washington on Saturday. Uh, Washington is going through the Arizona-Arizona State gauntlet this weekend. Uh, they play Thursday at Arizona and then Saturday at Arizona State. I think that's a tough turnaround. 
Um, Arizona State in their own building always plays tough against better teams. Washington still hasn't lost a conference game yet. They're pretty much the only only successful team um, top to bottom so far in the Pac-12. And I think Arizona State wants to let people know they're still here. Uh, so I think Arizona State in that game gets a big win over Washington and hopefully tries to solidify their spot in March. Yeah, that's going to be a really good game. Um, Washington's been playing very well in the Pac-12, sort of running through teams. Um not really struggling at all with any of them and it's a team effort not one player is really standing out for Washington everyone's um doing playing their role and really stepping up for them so um, it helps they play in the Pac-12 and play 2-3 zone against a conference that has literally no shooters pretty much so fair yeah Um, (coughs) but that that could bite them in the butt against Arizona State that has some capable shooters that can get hot um so we'll see how that I like. Uh, I'm looking forward to that game for sure. Um, for me, my picks. I say picks because I'm not sure what I want to do. Um, the games <laughs> I'm looking at are Minnesota, Michigan State. Um, I think Michigan State really bounces back that game. This game. Um, they obviously played before then, but I think this is a, a must-win for Michigan State. They cannot lose this game um, if they want to be in that two seed, three seed. Uh, range. Um, I think the spread's going to be like, say, nine and a half. Uh, and I think Michigan State has no problem covering that. Um, and then the other game I was looking at is Villanova Marquette. Um, Villanova's playing at Marquette. Marquette's been playing well as of late, but they are a very um, jump shooting oriented team with Marcus Howard the, and the Hauser brothers. Um, I think Villanova was able to shut that down um, with Pascal and Phil Booth sort of stepping up offensively. And I think Villanova ultimately wins that game in a very high-scoring event. Um, so I would take – I think Marquette's going to be favored by three-and-a-half. And I'll take Villanova plus three-and-a-half and a little bit of the money line as well. The only thing I caution you on that one is that's Marquette's Super Bowl every single year and Villanova coming – into Wisconsin to play them. Uh, so I think Villanova's a better team. I think we hit on that in our last podcast about Marquette, but um, I, that's their Super Bowl. So it's dangerous, but realistically, Villanova should win the game. Um, and I was also going to pick the Duke game and pick Virginia again, like I did last time, but uh, without Ty Jerome, or at least with him being questionable, um, I'm staying away from that one. But I think Virginia gets this one, I think, they kind of got shocked losing to Duke. Um, and they honestly are coming off. They haven't played too hot down the stretch here. So I think that's their chance to, to respond and bounce back. So I think Virginia does knock off Duke this weekend. But until Todd Jerome's confirmed, I can't can't make that pick. Yeah, the, that one, that's definitely a stay away for right now. Um, but, yeah, I want to get into your study. Action. Sure. So this one, uh, I think a lot of people have heard the word motivation, uh, specifically intrinsic motivation, which just means your own motivation that comes from inside you. Um, and motivation is a big topic when it comes to athletes, especially coaches trying to get their athletes ready. Um, so we all 
pretty much are aware that athletes that are intrinsically motivated just are generally better, get to a higher level of skill, um, and stick with whatever they're doing for a longer period of time. Uh, and it's mostly just because they want to do what they're doing. That's why they're intrinsically motivated. So they're just doing what they like, doing what they want to. Um, and in order to, to get our athletes to want to do that and be intrinsically motivated, there's two major things you have to do. First is uh, have the athlete set their own goals. It has to be their personal own individual goals. It can't be a coach saying, I want you to average 10 points and five rebounds a game this season during high school. It has to be the athlete setting his own goal, which could be, I want to play uh, I want to play in every game this year. I want to shoot 75% from the free throw line. It doesn't matter how big, how small. They have to set their own because that's the only way they're going to work for it. And then with that, the coach has to give technical feedback um, to help them get to the goal. So take the free throw shooting example. Uh, work with them to get their own rhythm. Work with them to go through their own routine. Uh, if you see maybe their elbow flares out, try to work with them to get that back in line. Things like that. Um, and if you do all of that by telling, by helping the athlete reach their goal, first, they trust you more. They know that you care about them reaching their goal and they personally want to get there because they feel like they're being supported and getting there. So, uh, coaches need to really focus on trying to intrinsically motivate their athletes, uh, help them work towards their goals. And then ultimately that will result in a better team overall. If everybody's trying to get better on their own. Uh, and they all feel like they have the coach's trust and support. So that's, I think, cultivating intrinsic motivation is really important for, for coaches all across the country, to, especially with their younger athletes that are trying to get to the next level and maybe don't yet realize what they have or how good they could be. I like that one. Um, and it's funny you bring it up today because last night I was watching um, Pelicans play the Pacers in – Drew Holiday played play against his younger brother, Aaron Holiday, um, with Justin Holiday also being one of the, so the three of the brothers are in the NBA. And they interviewed their, their father during the game, and he was talking about how he let them pick the sport that they were going to play. Both, both him and his wife um, both played um, basketball growing up, and, and they never forced it on him. It was all all three of their choices to play basketball and ultimately ended up with all three of them um, making it to the NBA um, and having careers in the NBA, not just making it. So uh, I think that talks to them having their own intrinsic goals of getting there um, and playing the sport that their parents played. Um, so that makes sense. And it is a, a very underrated um, thing that goes into coaching is trying to get them to motivate themselves and to hold them to that motivation. Um, coaches love to talk about accountability, but to give them their own goals to hold them accountable to, I think is much more effective than creating arbitrary goals that that you want to see them get to. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, it has to be athlete-driven, and they have to want to do it themselves. And if that's the case, then you you got to probably going to have a successful athlete on your hand, though. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I mean that that wraps up our this week's college podcast. Um, we're gonna try to get another NBA podcast in on Thursday. Um, haven't talked about to Zach about that yet, but guess what Zach is doing on Thursday? <laughs> <laughs> that works with me. Um, 
going to try to get some trade deadline talks for you, um, even try to do it during the most active part, which is the last couple hours, um, and give you some live feedback. So um, look out for that. Um, and again, we're continuing to put out content. Um, we're going to have some good stuff coming to you shortly. Yep, so Big East, Big East next week, and then we're almost to March, believe it or not. Well, then the real the real stuff where we make our money comes into play. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that's the podcast. Here's DJ Zenus for the intro and outro. Check us out next week. Show up, get out on the floor. All I wanna know, can we turn this thing out?